into the face of my enemy I see my brother I see my sister when I look into the face of my enemy I see my brother I see my sister Sarah Beth and the band. Once again, thank you all for being here. Uh, it's always a pleasure to host these discussions. So just to offer a, some background, uh, typically over the last five years of Trinity Heights Church, these mezzanines have taken the form of roundtable discussions, and a part of that still remains. However, we've decided to pivot a, a little bit, uh, and this morning we've structured things more like a rotating panel discussion, which means that we'll have the privilege of hearing from uh, some friends. Uh, it, it'll be uh, Stephen and I, uh, as well as uh, Jesse, Jesse Thorson, Chase Chumkal, and uh, Raf uh, Landiero. This past sermon series uh, was titled Colossians, Violence, Progress, and Peace, and was an epic uh, part uh, roller coaster ride through Colossians. And in each of the seven parts, uh, Stephen explored uh, ideas relating to uh, war, genocide, imperialism, Julian Assange, atheism, cancel culture, and of course, peace. So I'd like to welcome Stephen uh, Chung to the stage, as well as Jesse Thorson, and uh, we'll get started. Hey, Jesse. Hello. It's a Hi, very podcasty the, the setup. Thing, the other thing you didn't mention is we normally do a really good brunch. Yes. So hopefully next, next year we'll be doing a really good brunch around, around the tables as well. That's right. Due to COVID, we haven't been able to host any kind of uh, coffee, biscotti, or any sort of brunches. And so normally we would have had that. Yes, thanks for <laughs> Um, so, Stephen, as I mentioned, it was a uh, kind of a wild roller coaster ride through Colossians, and I did mention that uh, there were several uh, interesting topics, including genocide, imperialism, Julian Assange, atheism, cancel culture, and of course, peace. So, I guess my first question then is uh, why only seven parts? <laughs> Are you saying I'm not working hard enough? Is that the. <laughs> Yeah, so, so, you know, it could have been twice as long, couldn't it? And, yeah. and we, we actually did a series, also seven parts, um, five years ago when we first launched 20 Heights in Colossians. And uh, it, what was really interesting to me was that while there were quite a few things that we wanted to repeat from the last time and say the same way, uh, there was so much there that I hadn't even noticed um, and, and had to try and bring out this time. Um, and so I suppose that does speak to the sort of very layered and rich nature of Paul's writings yeah. and all, all those letters, especially, but especially Colossians. And um, yeah, we could have gone twice as long. Maybe we could have gone all year, actually, but most people would be glad we didn't do, do that, perhaps. Right. Um, yeah, good. Uh, so, well, I, yeah. yeah, did you have anything else? Well, ju just the, the, the idea of, of the series this, mm -hmm. this time around was to try and take some of the, the everyday language that we use mm -hmm. um, and, and words that we think we know what they mean, like war, mm -hmm. peace, providence, God, humanity, yeah. 
Um, some of these words we use more in the church, some just in the broader culture. We think we know what we mean, but when we put them alongside Paul's writings, do, do we discover that he's actually meaning something quite different? So, so it's, it's quite unnerving when you first read Paul yeah. and, and you realize, actually, when he says God, he means something quite different than the way we usually use the word God in, in our context. And so I just wanted to see how Paul's theological vision sort of maybe puts some pressure and pushes our, um, our per perception of things in, in a, mm -hmm. perhaps a different direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, there were portions of, of the series that I found to be quite groundbreaking. And one of those uh, specifically uh, in part one, uh, you, you discussed this idea of inner peace or uh, our personal pursuit of perhaps serenity now, and you use the example of, from, from Seinfeld of Frank Costanza, Frank Costanza <laughs> yelling serenity now at the top of his lungs in the back of a cab. Uh, but how does that differ from the kind of peace that Paul talks about, the, so, the capital P right, peace? So Paul, right, so Paul's not a Western individualist. When he's writing yeah. to the church, he's writing to the church. He's, not, he's writing to a community, to the collective, and so he's right. very rarely addressing individuals. You'll know when he's addressing an individual because he actually names them. He calls them out by name. The rest of the time, he's addressing the corporate. Um, and so he's got this much more Jewish idea of, of shalom or peace, yeah. which is not this personal, my subjective sense of well-being, but has this idea of a far-reaching harmony mm. that ends up permeating um, all of our relationships. Yeah. You know, that we, we talked about economic, ecological, agricultural, uh, personal, political, social, all of our relationships yeah. are permeated by this harmony. That's the vision he's talking about, which is uh, a much more robust version of peace than uh, little old me and how I'm feeling today. Serenity now, right, yeah. Serenity now. Yeah. Well, uh, and, and Jesse, that's kind of where, where you come in. I, I think when we, you and I have had conversations a lot uh, over the, the, the last year and a half, I feel like, about peace, uh, capital P, peace, or the, the difference between, uh, you know, what we're talking about, inner peace or, or, or Paul's version of peace. Uh, and um, I guess I would just, uh, yeah, uh, do, do you have anything to say specifically? <laughs> uh, serenity now sounds great if it works. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, it frequently doesn't work, or yeah. at least it doesn't hold out long enough. I mean, through work, I'm pretty exposed to a lot of the, and there's a lot of good stuff to anyone who studies psychology or is involved in it, like positive psychology and kind of adjacent self-help industries actually provide people with interesting tools that are really helpful, but it's a little thin when it uh, comes up to enduring violence, seeking reconciliation, and yeah, there's just not much of a substrate there. And um, I, I guess serenity now tends to, <laughs> I think about like, you know, praying for your enemies and um, Sometimes you just don't want to do that on your own. If serenity now is kind of like me sitting at home thinking about who frustrated me or I found myself thinking hateful thoughts towards and, and then you think, oh, I can't really summon up that much kind of uh, positive benevolence towards some people sometimes. And, but it's in the context of community and we've been walking through this story and as we narrate our lives together, I found that that is actually the thing that kind of props one up enough to... Uh, really uh, want to make peace with people who can be our enemies. That's right. And I've been impressed, too, because you've actually been very transparent about, well, at least to me, who your enemies are. <laughs> I have so many enemies. <laughs> and, and, Just kidding. And, and, <laughs> thanks for praying for me. Thanks for praying for me so much, Jesse. <laughs> but, uh, 
No, I found it really helpful because well, one thing that Jesse did a while back is he told me, you know, I, I have a notebook. Oh, this is embarrassing. Sorry, is this okay if <laughs> no, I No, yeah, it's totally okay. okay. <laughs> um, he has a notebook and, and he says, you know, I, I'm supposed to pray for my enemies, but that means I actually have to write down their names. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I started thinking, I started thinking, well, that, what a weird and wonderful practice because uh, what that forces you to do is actually come to grips with who your enemies are. Um, and we don't do that most of the time. Most of the time we're having knee-jerk reactions uh, from a place of violence against people that we just sort of realize are bugging us in the back of our heads. But if we're actually being proactive and listing their names and then on top of that praying for them, the next time we, we enter into a space with that person, there's going to be a totally different mm -hmm. experience. Um, so that brings me to... Oh, Stephen, do you have anything to say on that? I don't want to skip over this. No, I, okay. I, I, I love that idea. <laughs> yeah, okay, great. I think that opens up the wider uh, issue, um, which is the problem that the peace of the gospel poses in, in our broader culture, right? So if we're doing this on a micro level with, with people in our lives, then if we scale it up and project it um, into our current cultural context, so American peace or Pax Americana, then we start to realize that the peace of the gospel is a little bit different than um, what what America would call peace. Or, and Jesse, uh, you and I have spoken at length about this idea of pacifism. And a while back, you even shared a published interview uh, that uh, was with Stanley Harwas titled Peacemaking is Political, which makes me think that you have some more thoughts on this. Nope. Nope. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I, I mean, where to begin? Ultimately, what's come to like really kind of swirl around my attention um, just with so many different, um, you know, tumultuous political happenings within our country, but really around the world in the last couple of years. There is a sense in which like, a, a question arises, which is that like, poses itself to us as, are we responsible for how history turns out? And if the answer to that is yes, or somewhat even, uh, yeah, like I feel like we are kind of responsible, kind of any leaning towards uh, a strong responsibility lends itself to just justifying violence and coercion and kind of uh, grasping the handles of history to make it turn out right. And I feel like as... Um, you, Stephen, and other other people who have been giving sermons, you know, in the last couple of years, as we've talked really about the resurrection and how important that is for the for the the Christian story and the story of Jesus, it somehow does relax our tight grip a little bit on on making history turn out right, whether that's in some cosmic sense or in our individual lives or in our nation state. And don't hear me the wrong way. It, that's not like don't have responsibility or don't care about justice or this or that. But, but there is some kind of different quality, whether moral or aesthetic, that a follower of Jesus who, who does believe in the resurrection, whatever mystery that might entail, there's a quality that, that engenders some kind of humility or possibility of peacefulness that otherwise is 
is absent and mm. very important. Uh, uh, that's a really good point, and I think we're, we're not building the kingdom of God on earth. We're not creating a utopia. We're, we're building for it in the, in the trust and belief that actually God is going to set the world to rights and take things where he wants them in, in the end. Um, and that does, that loosens our, our grip on, on things considerably. We don't have to use violence and coercion to make the world turn out the way we, we want it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very tempting to do that. Yeah. It's tempting to do that, and yet we can rest in the fact that things are moving uh, in towards uh, renewal and redemption. On uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, any any final thoughts before we we open up the discussion? Well, I've I've got a, a couple of anecdotes I'd like to yeah. to share for sure. the end of this section, and and. Um, you know, one of the things we keep on saying at Trinity Heights, and I'll just repeat it again, uh, war is the multiplier of death, of famine and starvation, of refugees, of people trafficking, of rape, of childhood diseases, of um, birth defects. I mean, it is a multiplier of all of these things and more on a scale and at a speed which nothing else can compete with. Okay, mm-hmm. so just keep that in mind as, as I share these couple of anecdotes. So. Um, right before, the, both of these things happened right before the, the election uh, of last year. And the first thing was a friend of mine was running a, a seminar, um, attended predominantly by Christians, most of them highly educated or connected with some Ivy League school or another. And it was on faith and politics. And he was trying to look at can we talk about faith and politics in some sane way in this highly polarized society we live in and and so that's a really good good idea but I asked him this question which I actually already knew the answer to but I thought I'd ask anyway and the the question was how often was the subject of war brought up now bear in mind what we've just said about war as a multiplier Um, and he didn't say well we we only you know in this two-day seminar we only talked about it for about 20 minutes or 10 minutes what he said was is it never came up, not once, mm. not a single time. No one brought it up. <clears throat> that should floor all of us. <laughs> that's, mm. a, that's a problem. Mm. Okay, the, the, the other thing that happened was similar. A, a good friend of mine here at Trinity Heights gave me a, a, an article from Christianity Today. Big, widely read Christian publication. And again, they were trying a similar thing. Let's be a bit more even-handed on this faith and politics stuff. Can we talk in a sane way in this polarized world, which is, which is good. But again, not a single time did the subject of war come up. But it got a bit more surreal than that because the author of the article talked about uh, foreign policy, but in the context of saying there are some conservatives who just won't be able to get on board with the more progressive foreign policy of the previous Obama administration. Mm-hmm. Now, bear in mind... The Obama administration attacked, started five new wars, attacked five different nations. And so at that point, you have to ask, what, what progressive foreign policy are we actually talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, this is a problem for the church because what, what these two stories illustrate, at least for me, is, is that what we've got is the Apostle Paul sitting in prison, chained up, and he says, remember my chains. And he's, he's not just saying, oh, just throw up a prayer for me or, or you know, send me a care package and, some, and my, my wrists are chafing on, the, on these chains. Send me some cream in the care package, right? That's not, that's not mm-hmm. what he's saying. He's saying, remember my chains. He's saying, because my life and your life, our collective lives together, are meant to place a massive question mark over Pax Romana, a Rome, so-called Roman peace, mm-hmm. right? Trouble is, we can't do that over Pax Americana if our minds are in the vice grip of American propaganda. 
And, uh, you know, you, you talk to people from Syria, and I've talked to several people from Syria, and they're not talking about progressive American foreign policy. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's just a total nonsense and a, and a, and a fiction. Uh, and, and so I think these are the sorts of things that get in the way of, of us sort of um, getting with the program, as it were, in, in, yeah. in terms of the direction God, God is taking things. Yeah. Well, on that note, I'd like to open up the discussion to all of you. Uh, so please take the next uh, 10 minutes uh, to continue this conversation. Uh, if you glance uh, up here at the screen, you can see there's three questions. Don't feel like you have to uh, get through all of them. These are just prompts to uh, get the conversation started. The band will be playing uh, some live music quietly as you all discuss. Fantastic. Uh, I'm going to call Stephen uh, back to the stage and uh, also Chase. Hi. Chase, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. <laughs> it's great to, great to have you up here. Uh, so if we're going to move on to part two, uh, we're going to be moving into uh, a part of the sermon series that Stephen spent quite a bit of time talking about uh, ideas of God's providence, creation, and humanity. Uh, and uh, Stephen, it seemed like you were working pretty hard to kind of reinvigorate these these ideas. Um, so I'm working hard now, am I? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, so so yeah, that that was. Um, so the the idea is that I, I think one of the reasons why there's this I think there's a big chasm. I was talking about this at brunch yesterday morning with our newcomers brunch, just saying that there's this chasm that's opened up between the the, the, um, the church and the surrounding predominant culture, and there's a lot of suspicion and skepticism. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one reason, is certainly because the church I think has has been sort of saying that these are the rules you ought to follow. Here's the morals you ought to have, and we're all scandalized when people don't have these morals or, or share these values. Um, but, but actually, we haven't told people why, and that's, very rarely do we tell people why. We've not been good storytellers. Paul is a brilliant storyteller, and actually he works really hard at, at weaving together these different strands of this story with, with providence, creation, and, and humanity. Um, and these tightly woven strands together form a story which I think... Um, is, is so compelling that when Paul comes to the point of saying, look, here's how you should live, it makes perfect sense. It, it's a story within which certain actions make sense. Uh, and um, I think it's even more than that, because I think when once this story grips our hearts, you almost don't have to tell people that you should live this way. It's just what, it, it, this kind of story produces this kind of human being, mm. uh, this kind of humanity. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Chase, did you have anything that you'd like to say in response to um i mean i i agree and i think as you mentioned like paul's very just entrenched in the creation narrative he's very very um I, you, in one of your sermons you you kind of tied back colossians to genesis and i think that's very important because like when it comes to questions of like peace and harmony it's necessary that we recognize that like human beings are created to be together first with god and then with one another mm. um and then with the creation itself um and it's like when we have this as the like lens that we view our own lives, like this is who we're created to be, to be the image of God, not just by myself, but with um, the community of God. Um, I think that's when we recognize that things like disunity, things like um, violence mm -hmm. are actually destructive to our own, uh, our own selves. 
Yeah, and on the note of, of violence, uh, one idea that you brought up, Stephen, that really struck me uh, was uh, if nothing is ordered to anything, then it is impossible to do violence to anything. And uh, you used Michelangelo's Pietà uh, to illustrate this idea quite poignantly. Yes, yeah, so right. So for those of you who weren't here or, or don't remember, that we, we that that is a statue that might, his first statue is that right? Uh, yeah, he was 22 yeah. when he sculpted 20, 22, it. 22, yeah. okay. And, and so it's the only one he actually signed. And, yeah. and um, it's a picture of, or it's, a, or it's a statue of Mary holding her, cradling her dead son's body in her arms, just been taken down from the cross. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that statue was attacked by Laszlo Toth uh, back in the 70s at the Vatican. He starts smashing it with, with his archaeological hammer. hammer uh, and, and it's quite a spectacle. And, and we, we see that. There's this visceral reaction. We see that and we think that is a, an act of violence. But it's not simply because Michelangelo was the intelligent designer or the intelligent um, sculptor who, who sort of... Forget about the origins of this thing. Uh, it's, it's because that, that sculpture is sort of ordered to the human being. Yeah. Uh, and so we see human faces and human bodies and, and we see the human relationship between mother and son and we see yeah. this human suffering and the human experience of death mm. and in a sense humanity is the ground of that statue so that mm. when we see it being attacked like that there's this visceral that's an act of violence yeah. um, and, and as you say if, if nothing is ordered to anything uh, so, so as, as uh, Democritus the Greek philosopher says you know it's all just atoms falling in a void mm -hmm. it's just atoms falling in a void so if nothing is ordered to anything um, then it is impossible to do violence to anything which is why you know if that, if that had just been a lump of marble sitting in the artist's studio yeah. and he starts smashing it we're not we don't have that we don't see that as an act of violence we see it as um, an act of creation right yeah. and, and and so there has to be that that uh, that ordering yeah. of our lives to something yeah. and this world to something otherwise um, violence itself doesn't really retain the meaning we think it has yeah that's right and I think I relate to this very deeply as an artist in my own studio for years uh, I've been making photorealistic paintings uh, and the act of making a, a photorealist painting is incredibly painstaking. So it takes months uh, of work trying to accurately portray uh, all the minute details. And it's funny because one of the, the things that I constantly come up against in my own studio is that the minute I finish one of these pieces, these large-scale paintings, so months and months of work, and then I'm Putting, putting the finishing touches on it, I take a few steps back and I look to see what the finished thing uh, looks like for the first time, there's almost an immediate urge that comes up inside of me uh, to, to destroy it. Uh, funny, f funny enough, I, um, it's, it's this idea of, well, what would happen if I, what, what would the painting look like? What would happen if I just dumped a bucket of paint on it? Uh, and I think it comes from a little bit of, of just dissatisfaction or just mourning the loss of the process itself. But I, I just I, I think that there's also this idea where you start to fully understand that all of the months of ordering this thing to something have now opened up the possibility of violence. And so then all of a sudden that becomes very apparent. Um, so I understand it all very intimately. Uh, the minute that order and beauty and peace present something fully formed, there's always, I think, an urge that could come up to destroy it. And um, Chase, I was wondering, 
if you might respond uh, to this kind of territory a little bit, yeah. Yeah, Re yeah. respond to his neurosis. <laughs> <laughs> yes, by all means. <laughs> Absolutely. If you ever end up doing that, please record it so that we can all watch yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, uh, But yeah, I mean, I think it kind of points back to what I just mentioned about um, just the fact that, like, in the creation account, we have this picture of God creating humanity to be um, not just isolated individuals or just people who are, like, bound together based on, like, preference or... Uh, similarities, but people who are um, bound together in togetherness, um, what by like God's um, by God, God's decree, like we're intended to be together with God, but also with one another, and also with the created order itself. Um, and so, I believe we talked about this in the past, like when it comes to like painting. Mm -hmm. um, and I could be wrong, but I I believe that every like beautiful and good painting requires like unity. Um, and so when it comes right. to like um, to violence and to, to, to the introduction of sin within like human relationships, um, we can really see um, the destruction of God's intention with the creation that mm -hmm. is being like a united art piece almost. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I know like in my experience, like um, violence hasn't always been something very explicit, but um, particularly in the context of like just awful church disunity, like violence has often just taken the form of like slander or like gossip or just holding grudges against one another or not forgiving one another. Mm -hmm. um, and so th there's almost a temptation to kind of doubt um, God's word and that we are as the church, a new humanity created to be what he intends for humanity that mm -hmm. is being uh, one and united. But um, at the same time, I think that um, like God's restoration is kind of like, like you, Eric, it takes a long time to make a painting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, there is work involved, right? We can't just sort of passively hope that for this aesthetic unity, we actually work work it out through relationship and, yeah. It reminds me, I believe in Colossians 3, when Paul talks about putting on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of its creator. So there has to be an intentionality about our role in, um, you called it our vocation, our calling, being the image of God. Yeah, that's right. Stephen, anything to add there? No, I, I think you're exactly right to remember that vocation and calling, that, that being, being an image bearer is not just some, some substance that we have in us necessarily, but it's also a, a calling to actually reflect, reflect God's, God's image. Mm -hmm. um, and, then, and then again, to put it back into that context of, of you know, God is moving things through his providence as he's sustaining all things and moving things towards uh, the, the, his overarching purpose and, and, and goals to find some sort of rest in, in that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Right. Otherwise, we start to see God as like the, the puppet master or the one who's, who's making things happen to us or, or sort of the puppeteer pulling our strings and we're his marionettes. And that's right. I'm not sure that's what Paul means when he's talking about, about providence. Right. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, that brings us to the end of this second portion of the panel discussion. So I'm going to open things back up to the floor. Uh, once again, take about 10 minutes to discuss amongst yourselves and have a look at the two prompts here on the screen. We'll catch you on the flip side. Let's move on to part three, and this will be the final part of our discussion this morning, and uh, we'll wrap up uh, right after this. Uh, I'd like to welcome Stephen back to the stage and uh, Raf Landiero. So at our table, I think Ted Lass Lassau was the... Uh 
Ted Lasso was yeah, the Lasso example. Was, uh, was the example of <laughs> <laughs> embracing peace instead of violence. I highly recommend that show, uh, Ted Lasso. If you haven't seen it, uh, yeah, that's actually a great, a great example. I know that another, at our table we were talking about uh, the the guy from Hacksaw Ridge. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, Jesse's seen it. Uh, he was a, a a a pacifist who who wanted to to fight and he refused to carry a gun, but he became a medic and he actually went into the most violent, um, one of the most violent territories uh, during the, what war was it, Jesse, do you remember? World War II. World War II. And uh, was pulling people to safety that were injured, had no weapon of his own, was sneaking through uh, behind any obstacle that, that, that he could, and then even to the point where if he would come across a wounded enemy soldier, he would also help them. So it just was totally going out of his way to embody peace in a, amidst violence, so pretty amazing. Um, Raf, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Great to join this plat um, new platform. I'm, my shirt says it all, Me mezzanine like never before. <laughs> so That's right. Yeah. Yeah, well. Um, uh, for, for those of you who don't know, RAF does head up our, our conversation, uh, ongoing conversations about war and peace here at Trinity Heights. We really do try to actively have these conversations, so I feel like you're the, the perfect person to have up here as we wrap up this uh, sermon series. Yeah, glad to help. Thanks. <laughs> so, Stephen, uh, when you were finishing out the series in Colossians, uh, Violence, Progress, and Peace, I, I think it made complete sense that you would end by exploring what true unity and peace might actually look like. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we, we spoke all one thing to listen to Paul talking about this, this wonderful grand vision of harmony that permeates all of our relationships and, and characterizes them all, and that, that's great. But then how, how do we get there, right? How, right. how do we work towards that? And um, I, think, I think one of the mistakes that we often make, especially in our cultural context, is that we push for agreement. And we're like, well, we'll be fine if you can just go down the list of propositions, check, check, check. We all agree on these things. If we don't agree, then suddenly we've got a, a problem, whether it's political, social, ideological, philosophical, whatever it is, mm. we, we've, got to, we've got to agree on all this stuff so that we can be together and we can have peace. The interesting thing is Paul sort of pokes fun at that and he says, look, there's always going to be people, he uses the word judging you and disqualifying you. He says, this is, this is what happens, they're going to judge you and disqualify you for one reason or another and he lists off a bunch of different reasons that, that they were using at the time in, the, in that congregation. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so he said, but his, his concern is not, do you agree? His, his concern is, what is your posture towards each other? And, and so he's more interested in nurturing a kind of posture within the context of your, all your agreement and all your disagreement. And, and he's saying that we're going to have this posture of mercy, of grace, mm -hmm. of kindness, of compassion, of, of forgiveness, because he knows we're going to hurt each other, forgiveness and love which binds all the other virtues together, he says, right? Um, and so it's, it's much more about nurturing that kind of posture towards each other in the context of the disagreements which are going to sometimes be pretty sharp and we're going to have them because we're human beings and that's just the way things are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think something I've realized more as we speak about peace and unity is that we really have to begin to understand that our ideas about ourselves and our rights um, and our, our, even our ideas around sort of our personal well-being, kind of to bring it back to that, that Hacksaw Ridge um, guy, uh, it, it all begins to shift to the point where if our focus becomes about um, unity and peace uh, and the person in front of me, then it, it really isn't about 
me anymore. There's, so there's C.S. Lewis, reminds me of what, something Lewis says, He's, he talks about these rare, rare moments in life where we, we just have um, this sort of self-forgetfulness, like a second innocence or something, where we, we, these moments where we forget about ourselves entirely, we're not thinking about ourselves, we're just focused on the person in front of us. Mm. And in that moment, it, it doesn't matter whether we, what their posture is, what their attitude, what their, their ideas are, what the disagreement is, it's so much, e when we're not thinking about ourselves, it's so much easier to actually love that person. And, and that's the amazing thing, is that Jesus is not asking it's impossible to get the agreement that, mm. that we often push for that's impossible Jesus doesn't actually ask the impossible he just asks us to love each other mm. and that's an entirely different thing and and there is this sort of self-forgetfulness in in the act of, of loving someone else mm -hmm. but, but I would like to acknowledge that that it's it's not always easy I think it's really hard to embrace peace and to to get to that place of of self uh, giving or self-sacrifice official love um, because uh, I know for me a lot of times always going to that headspace it, you start to feel weak or afraid that somehow I might my rights might be infringed upon um, or, or we just feel like we might get squashed in in the mess of it all and Raph I was wondering if you could respond to, to that yeah um, have you ever seen a bunch of people who all agree completely 100% they behave the same way, act the same way. It looks kind of scary sometimes. <laughs> You're like, how do you find each other? How did this happen? Or what do you have to give up to get to this point? Um, I think there is a natural part of us being different, being diverse in many different ways, beyond ethnicity, skin color, genders. Um, there's a beauty in that. Um, when it comes to you know, giving ourselves up, I think it's nice to say, I'm at peace, I'm in my home, I'm comfortable, I got heat, food, happy family, all is well in the world. And your neighbor next door is having horrible, difficult, abusive conversation situations. Your other neighbors you know, has a broken family, your neighbors inside the world you know, are in disarray. But yet you're happy and nice and at peace. There's, there's something off about that. Mm. Um, now, I'm not saying we need to bring humanity down to the lowest common denominator, mm -hmm. but I think there needs to be an always constant urge for mm. this isn't right. Mm. This can be better. Mm -hmm. It's not the way it should be. Uh, so I think that's where I kind of find myself a lot of times. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, I'm not going to harm myself to be equal to those being harmed, mm -hmm. but I need to at least recognize they should not be harmed. Mm -hmm. And is there anything that either I'm doing or I'm cooperating with that is harming them? Mm -hmm. And what is my response to that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So m more awareness. And I think these kinds of conversations uh, allow us to understand that. And I think also to question ideas of, of personal comfort, right? So how comfortable sh are we supposed to be in light of the gospel? And uh, mm -hmm. yeah. And Rowan Ro yeah. Williams, yeah. Williams puts it, you know, he says, where will you find the baptized? Yeah. Where you'll find them where Jesus is. And where do you find Jesus? In the neighborhood of chaos. <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, no, that, that quote shook me, really, really. Um, anything else on that, Ralph, before we move? You know, uh, personal comfort's an interesting one. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how much is enough? Um, mm -hmm. I don't have an answer to that, I'm sorry everyone, but uh, I definitely think the average of now, New York City, America, is definitely more than others. Mm -hmm. um, I'm remodeling my apartment, and our bathroom got gutted last week. Uh, we had 
just bad pipes. They were breaking, they were leaking, had to be done. And for a moment, our bathroom was literally two, two holes in the ground, one for the shower, one for the toilet. And I'm just thinking, all right, I guess I'm like average to the earth now. <laughs> My <laughs> bathroom is a hole in the ground. Um, and there, there was a weird, cynical thought about that. It was just like, okay, this is what it means to be human on earth. Mm. Like sometimes that is all you have. Mm-hmm. And you know, from there, that spark goes elsewhere. Like, okay, what is the actual situation of sanitation in the world? What is the actual access to toilet and just mm. bathrooms in the world? Mm-hmm. Um, so awareness is a big part. Yeah. 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 Awareness with also in light that uh, of the fact that we probably still won't fully understand what it's like because we never experienced this. And that's something we talk about a lot, too, when we do these prayers for peace is we remember conflict areas across the globe and just try for a moment to um, to understand even just just for a sliver of a second. Um, that how comfortable we are and the level of of pain and suffering that does exist across the globe Um, and um, you know Wendell Berry has has a great quote where he says that um, there's no way there's no amount of work that any of us can do as individuals to sort of rectify these problems but we can at least start talking about it and really hashing it out and starting to understand what it might look like to move towards um, renewal and, and peace. Yeah, and, and to understand, I think that that there is this work that needs to be done. Like we were saying yeah. earlier, you don't you don't go to war without a strategy, without preparation, without training, and, and so there is this sort of sense in which we have to train ourselves. And probably the work to, for peace is probably ten times more work than preparing to go to war. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Finally, I'd like to open up uh, the discussion once more to the floor and uh, feel free to, um, to kind of wrap things up here. We will have kind of a, a word of closing and uh, we will uh, finish after that. So take a ne- the next few minutes to uh, wrap up with these last two prompts. Well, it's been really a privilege to take this time and kind of think back over the, uh, this last uh, series, Colossians, Violence, Progress, and Peace. And um, just want to say thank you to Chase, Raf, and Jesse for uh, joining the, the panel discussion this morning. And uh, it really was great to, to hear what you had to say. And Stephen, I wanted to say thank you. Just thank you so much for the work that you did put into this, this series. And uh, I know that it, um, it's, it's changed the way that I think about things in a very deep way and, uh, and I think has helped us as a church understand uh, how we might become a people of peace. Well, that's very kind and, and you know one of the things that I'm really um, encouraged by is that I'm not doing this, you're not doing this, you're not doing this alone. We're, we're doing this together and, and um, Jesus only needed 12 disciples to, to change the world and, uh, and and so we may be a small community but if we're, if we're committed to this this narrative if we inhabit this narrative if we allow this story to grip our hearts uh, you know let's let's see what happens mm. yeah great well I feel like it's only appropriate Stephen if you just uh, would say a benediction for us this morning so this week and in the days ahead of us may our lives allow the people we encounter 
to catch a glimpse of that far-reaching harmony that will one day characterize and permeate all of our relationships. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you.